Welcome to the Dementia Caregiver Talk Show, a podcast to help you navigate the senior care maze. Learn and laugh with us as we discuss creative solutions and ideas to common and uncommon dementia care challenges and how to make sense of the senior care industry and options even if you're not a professional. Hey everyone, this is Valerie from Positive Approach to Care. I wanted to let you know that we're publishing new YouTube videos almost every single day in relation to the current pandemic and wanted to invite you to visit our YouTube channel by clicking the link below in the show notes. If you cannot access the show notes for any reason, you can also go to YouTube and type Tipa Snow into the search bar. You'll be able to find our channel that way in our videos. We hope you stay safe and healthy. So I want to go over some strategies to really help because I'm really committed to helping. I don't want to just say, don't, don't do that. I want to show what we should do. So here's the first thing. Number one, we need to pause and recognize we have a very challenging situation on our hands. And to think about where is the challenge? Well, COVID-19 is an absolute challenge and it is hard. And let's talk about why. Well, number one, it's invisible. If people could see the COVID particles, if they were visible, holy moly, we could do so much better because what people see, they respond to. What people see, they're able to deal with because when I can see something, I can do something about what I see. So if those little droplets were were bright purple, then, oh my gosh, right away, I know where they are and I know how to take care of that because it's not high tech to take care of it. It just takes soap and water. I mean, really and truly, it just takes soap and water. Because once you break, it's not even an antibacterial situation. It's simply, all you have to do is break the lipid bonds. If you break the lipid bonds, the virus dies. It loses its potency as soon as we break the lipid bonds of the virus. It's really a fragile virus. The problem is it's it's a very, oh, wait. The second thing that's true, it's sneaky. It is a very sneaky thing. It sneaks around. It, It does things that... It's like, because you can't see it and it doesn't show itself right away, it's not a bright purple anything. It it hides out on surfaces. And what's hard for many of us is it hides out longer than other stuff. Um, And it's, it gets in places that you wouldn't think about it because humans don't think about all the things, take your hands and hold them up and wiggle them. All the things your hands touch All the times, take your hand and bring it toward your face. Humans are built to bring their hand to their face. You do it all the time. Think of how many things you do to take care of yourself. So our hands on our face, our hands on our body, our hands at our ears, our hands. We have to actually teach children to use their elbow rather than their hand to cover a cough. Because our automatic is, you bring that hand up there because you know you can cup. Because you have greater skill in your hands than you have in your elbow. So your brain goes, yeah, do this, and then you can hold it in. And then let me walk, oh, well, wait, I guess I have stuff on them. And it turns out when human beings talk, if you want to ever see this, make sure you put something that has a lot of color in it. Like you have to use like, oh, Jell-O. Jell-O is a good example. Put something like Jell-O stuff or, or, or Kool-Aid. 
um, put Kool-Aid powder in your mouth. And then what I want you to do is put a white piece of paper out about 18 inches in front of you. And I want you to talk like you're talking to somebody across. Hey, how are you doing? You doing okay? And then put it down a little bit and go, Hey, how are you doing? And I want you to notice how many little red droplets you have all over that white piece of paper. Because when human beings talk to other human beings, they have to open and close their lips and open and close your lips. And part of what happens under your tongue, you have a parotid gland. And the parotid gland is designed to produce saliva. And it turns out you need saliva for a couple of reasons. It, it starts to digest food, but the other thing is to moisture and lubricate your mouth so that you can move your tongue around and it doesn't rub and it's not dry and the palate is soft and it needs moisture up there. So it turns out you keep producing saliva all the time. So get your two hands out, and this is going to be a little tricky. Do 10 plus 6. On average, each human being swallows saliva, the extra, 16 times a minute. But you don't know that because you have an automatic system in your brain and in your body that just does that for you without you having to think about it. Now, if you've ever been uh, to the dentist's office where they gave you Novocaine, and then you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, I'm drooling. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And you find, oh, well, when you get Novocaine, it numbs, but it also gets your system to not be able to be as effective motor-wise. So sensory motor, they're wired together. And so we typically, if you've ever been to the dentist and you got an anesthesia, that's when you realize, oh yeah, I do. Or when you go to sleep. How many people have woken up with your pillow and it is not pristine? You drooled on it and you drooled on it because your brain went, oh, that's too much work. Just let it come out. It doesn't matter. It's not going anywhere. Because when you're sleeping, your brain isn't able to do that. Hmm. So what it means is for people <laughs> who have, you know, may or may not have COVID without realizing it, we're putting out droplets whenever we have a conversation. And so mm, this thing is just sneaky and our automatic behavior of not realizing just doing this. And then I, oops, I spilled a little bit and without thinking, wiping it with my hand and then going and picking up a pen and then, humans are meant to do things in the world. And these are the things we use to do them. They're called hands. Eyes direct them, but these hands do things in the world, and then they turn around and do things for me, and they do things in the world, and they do things for me. They were meant to do that. But with COVID, it becomes tricky because it's sneaky, and so it sneaks in there. Um, and here's the third thing that's a little tricky about COVID, and I think we need to just say it out loud. Many people who get it actually have almost no symptoms at all, and, and so they're not they're not being sneaky, COVID sneaky, because some people have a reaction to it that's so minimal that it could just be that you're, you, you just had a little bit of, you may have had nothing. And then some people do have symptoms and those symptoms are noticeable. They get a fever, they get the dry cough, they, they, they feel yucky, you know, for several days. And so those are symptoms you can sort of put your head around and notice. But then we have some people who have absolutely horrible symptoms, life-altering, motor-altering, movement-altering, brain-altering, life. I mean, these are horrible symptoms. And the reality is this, this thing called COVID kills people. It kills some people, 
but then we have other people that it that it doesn't. So all these things are true about COVID. And and here's the other reason it's so hard, because it has required huge changes in our care systems. This thing called COVID has required us to totally change how we do care in almost every system of care that we know, even every system of life that we know about. And frankly, change is really hard and it's extra hard on stress systems. And what I want us to realize is community, communal care, communal settings, it's been a stress system already. We were having difficulty keeping staff, training staff, teaching staff how to do these different things, having families satisfied with what we were doing, having people living with dementia, living without dementia, having different kinds of dementia, having space limitations. I mean, this has never been easy. You add COVID on it, whoa, change is really, really hard. And then here's the next problem. Not only is it hard on the system, it requires our change in our care routines. We are asking people to literally wash their hands anytime they do something on a common surface, on themselves, with a person, and then go to do something else. First, wash your hands, wash your hands. And it's one thing when it's just me living in my own world by myself, then, you know, doing that and remembering to do that. I have some time and some, some habit building if it hasn't been my practice to, to build a practice. But if I'm now thrown into a situation where I have a bunch of different care routines I'm trying to maintain and I'm juggling a lot of balls already, and now I keep adding in, and now you have to throw this ball in again. Now you have to take it back out. Now you have to throw it in. Now you have to take it back out. And I'm already stressed. My brain can only handle five to eight pieces of data at a time at best. When brains become stressed, it drops to five to three, and then it's one or two pieces, and I just can't hold the whole thing at once. So now we add on, and this is what's not being talked about that we must start sharing out, which is dementia in and of itself, dementia care is really hard, and it's really hard because it's invisible. Dementia is invisible. You can't see dementia. You can't see dementia. You see the symptoms, but you can't actually see the disease unless you get an evaluation. And it has to be a really good evaluation. And it keeps changing because dementia is sneaky. Dementia sneaks up. So it can be one way in the morning, one way in the afternoon, and a whole nother level of different in the evening. And you won't know it until you experience it. So it's sneaky because, well, last time I came in, she said she got it and she said she would stay here. And she, she was really, really glad I was doing things. And, and then she comes out and says, why won't I, why are we not eating in the dining room? And so it can start with almost no symptoms. It does start with almost no symptoms, but then it develops symptoms. And sometimes it has horrible symptoms. And the problem is, these changes, when we think about dementia, we think it over time. The reality is it can happen over the course of an interaction. And here's the bottom line. And this is what I think people do tend to forget is that dementia kills people. It kills everybody who gets it. Um, there is no reprieve. There is no cure in the offing right now. There is no, well, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to kill you. And it's like, yeah, it is. It's just a question of when, and if nothing else kills you first, dementia will kill you because it, it destroys so much of your brain that your brain can't run your body. And 
two out of four people don't make it all the way to the end of the disease now. And the highest risk of not making it to the end is falls. Falls with injuries. Um, dehydration, malnutrition, to some extent, but pneumonia's a number one killer. That is right on up there, whether it's bacterial pneumonia or just getting a cold and not being able to use your body to clear your lungs. So the reality is dementia is a killer. I mean, it's it's 100% that if nothing else kills you first, it's gonna kill you. So what if we looked at our unit as, as really a palliative care risk reduction unit rather than we're gonna, if we can just keep people from getting COVID-19, then you know they're gonna be healthy and well. Well, they can be well, but they're not gonna be healthy. And, and really, dementia has already required huge changes in, in, in what we do and how we do it. And it stresses people out to, to work in the world of dementia unless you're, you're liking it. So let's add COVID and dementia. And this is the biggest problem we have going on right now in my learned opinion, and it is, it's got some factual support to it. The greatest stress many of us are living with is because the authorities and the people in charge want a simple solution to prevent, stop, or fix COVID-19 transmission and spread. They want that. And here's what I've got to tell them, I can't give you that. So quit asking me for what I can't give you and, and respect what it is I can do, and I'll respect your desire to not have it transmitted and spread. That's all I can do. I can't prevent it. I can't stop it. I can't even fix it. But I can reduce risk if you will let me do it the way I know I can reduce risk. Because frankly, the people we're caring for can't appreciate, can't understand, and can't remember, and they can't follow the rules that somebody set up that doesn't understand. So we're asking for carers to go ahead and figure out this, how to do this with 24 seven with few supplies and few new no new resources and fewer supports and greater risk. We're much better off looking at, okay, how can we create places and spaces and movement patterns that are gonna minimize those risks? How do we wipe surfaces? How do we provide our staff with some of the resources and ideas that are out of the box, but are designed to reduce this transmission risk. And if we don't, we're consigning everybody to this situation that's not doable. So I, for one, am standing up and saying, yes, I, I get it. And I have a special population. No one is asking parents of toddlers to quit hugging them and, and caring for them and rocking them to sleep. No one is asking people to do that because no one would do it if you asked us. When I became a parent, I will reduce risk, but I will never stop being a parent. When I'm a carer, if you tell me not to care, I can't do that. We're asking families to step away from, and then we're asking our staff to not care. And that's simply, we're positioning all of ourselves to fail rather than to succeed where we know how to help. Um, we just need to recognize what we're able to do and what we're not. And we need to celebrate one another. And the idea that how we are can make such a huge difference to what happens. And we actually do that second set and each one of those reduce the risk of transmission. And that's what I'm willing to stand up and say, let's look at the transmission risk. It's actually lower with this strategy. You show me how you can lower it with your strategy. And what I'm going to tell you, if one of those people in locked in that room 
with a chemical restraint does get C. diff, we have increased their risk that they won't survive it because all of those meds impact the central nervous system and all of them increase the risk that if I get a respiratory problem, I will not be able to overcome the respiratory problem because it'll immobilize me. And it'll immobilize my lungs just as pretty much as it immobilizes the rest of me. I will not be able to manage my secretions as well. So what I'm saying is with 40 years of clinical experience and lots of experience in dementia, I'm saying my hand is up and I say, I respect you for what you're trying to do for people who have ability, but I am standing for people who have lost ability and I won't put my hand down until you see us.